thank you for tuning in to AnchorCast. Please remember to subscribe and follow us on social media at Anchor Nights to get the latest updates about events, meetings, and uploads. We hope you enjoy today's episode. A lot of you guys are in some college courses right now. And you know what I was really good at in school for some reason was pop quizzes. I hated homework. I hated studying. I was really good at pop quizzes. And I know a lot of you hate pop quizzes, but pop quiz, we're taking a pop quiz right now, okay? I'm going to list off some books of the Bible, some names of books of the Bible, okay? And you're going to just tell me, is that an actual book in the Bible or not, okay? So I'm going to say a name, and you're going to raise your hand. Is that an actual book or is that not an actual book? Cool? All right, so uh, first one, uh, the book of Hezekiah. How many of you think that's a book in the Bible? How many do you think it's not a book in the Bible? Hezekiah, the book Hezekiah. You guys are hesitant. You got to pick one. Some of you are like, I'm not raising my hands for either. Um, Hezekiah is not a book of the Bible. It is not. It is not. Um, How about this one? Um, The book of Obadiah. Is Obadiah a book in the Bible? Raise your hand for yes, that it is a book. All right, no, it's not a book. Raise your hand. Three of you put your hands up for yes, and no one said no. Like, you guys, you guys are scared. You guys are scared. Listen, I'm not judging you. It's not like I'm taking inventory. Who reads their Bible and who doesn't? We're not judging here. No one's judging. Raise your hands, okay? Obadiah, yes, it is a book of the Bible. All right, how about this one? Habakkuk. 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 Habakkuk, it's a really weird one. Yes. All right, hands for no. It is a book of the Bible. It is a book. How about the book of Jacob? Everyone knows that one, right? The book of Jacob. Is that a book of the Bible? No, it is actually not a book of the Bible. How about uh, Nephi, the book of Nephi? <laughs> we got a scholar over here that is a book from the Book of Mormon. If you raise your hand that that's a book of the Bible, I believe you're looking for the church down the street. All right. Um, how about uh, the book of Jude? Jude, is that, is that a book of the Bible? Yes? No? Yes, it is. How about Haggai? The book of Haggai. Yes. Yes, it is. How about Thomas? Got to answer this one? Thomas is not a book of the Bible, but you will find it in the Catholic Bible. Thomas. Um, how about the book of Titus? It's not Titus. It's Titus. The book of Titus. Yes, it is. How about this one? Um, Philemon. Is that a... Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And we're actually going to be talking about the book of Philemon. And it's one of those ones that sounds like it's not a book of the Bible, right? Like, it actually, if you were like, first time you come across this, you might be like, what the heck's a Philemon? Like, is that a sorority, right? Like, come on, right? Philemon, come on. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) Thanks, thank you. I told the leadership team to laugh at that joke. Most of you didn't, you're fired, okay? My goodness. If you were to pick up your Bible right now, actually, and you were to try and flip through the pages quickly to find the book of Philemon, like, you might not even see it, because it is a small, short book. Like, every time I went to open my Bible to try and find it, I was like, oh, crud, where is it? Ah, it's, ah, page 1260. Ah, no, ah. And I'm just like, each time I'm mowing through, it's so short, you'll miss it, right? But it, the message in Philemon is actually huge, okay? This book is so short that other books of the Bible have chapter numbers. Philemon doesn't even have chapters 
it's just one, it's, it's like 25 verses. It's one chapter, all right? And, uh, but, but the message contained in this short book is so big, right? You know, big things come in small packages, right? This is one of those things. And, and this book was a letter from prison, and it's written by Paul the Apostle while he was in captivity for his faith, and, right? A letter from prison, and, and it was addressed to a specific person, Philemon. These other letters we've been reading, they're, they're to groups of people, to churches, but this one's written to a specific person. And let me give you some background on this guy named Philemon. Um, he was this wealthy man from Colossae that at some point he had came into contact with Paul, and, and Paul converted him to Christianity, and then he became uh, a leader of a church that met in his home. Uh, which was really common for that time for churches to, to meet in, in homes at the start of Christianity, right? They didn't have multi-million dollar frap houses and, and, you know, let's go get coffee and talk about Jesus. No, they like, they met in homes and living rooms and, and he had a church in his home. Um, and Paul, and, and he knew Paul really, really well. Him and Paul had a really good relationship. And Philemon, like most wealthy, affluent people in Rome, he had slaves, and he had a particular slave that had perhaps maybe stolen from him or scorned him in some way and then ran away. And this slave's name was Onesimus. And if you read Philemon, if you're looking at Philemon right now, I'm having a hard time not saying Onesimus. I really want to say Onesimus every time I read it. So if you hear me say Onesimus, just gloss over it, okay? So Onesimus, right? And, and Onesimus, he just so happened to meet Paul. And, and Paul shared with him, like he does people he meets, he shares with him about Jesus. And then Onesimus started serving Paul and, and helping Paul while he was in prison because he, he, he converted to Christianity. And Onesimus became a good friend with Paul. And, and Paul considered him a valuable asset. And, but the big problem is, is that Onesimus, as a runaway slave, is a fugitive. Philemon, as his master under Roman law, is able to have Onesimus executed, or at minimum, if Philemon is, is allowed to live, he would forever be branded with an F on his forehead. He'd be forever branded as a fugitive. But Paul knows that if Onesimus doesn't do the unthinkable and return to his former master, that he would always be hiding on the run from uh, the law and bounty hunters, and he, he'd always be dodging soldiers. And, and, and Paul's right in the middle of this. He has a great relationship with both of these men. So, so Paul finds himself in a very difficult and delicate situation. And in this letter to Philemon, Paul knows that he has to ask for forgiveness for Onesimus. But, but not only that, Paul takes it a step further, and his mission in this letter that we see is to ask Philemon not just for forgiveness, but he asks for Philemon to receive Onesimus as a brother. And, and here's how Paul does it. Paul opens his letter thanking Philemon for his love and faithfulness to Jesus and the church. And, and then we get to verse 6, and it's going to be on the screen, where, where Paul says this, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of everything, of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Now I want to focus on the word partnership because the word partnership here comes from the Greek word koinonia, 
which means the sharing or mutual participation or community, koinonia. And Paul is saying that all of Jesus' followers are equal partners and share in the gift of love and grace through Christ Jesus. And for Paul, koinonia it isn't just an idea. It's, it's something that you do. And, and when we see that Paul is setting up Philemon right at the beginning of this letter, he's saying that, hey, I hear about your love for other believers, and I commend you for it. And, and you would agree with me that us as believers, we're all equal in Jesus, right? He's kind of saying this to Philemon. Yeah, you would agree, right, that we're all equal in Jesus. You love Jesus. I love Jesus. We're all equal. And, and that's when Paul kind of finally brings up Onesimus in this letter, and he says this in verse 10. He says, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful to both you and to me. See, by calling Onesimus his son, Paul is showing that they have become family in Christ. And what's funny is Paul actually gets a little punny in this letter. He, he, he kind of has like a little, he kind of makes fun of some stuff because Onesimus' name actually means useful. Like, that's the meaning of his name, is useful. But a runaway slave in that day, uh, they would often be referred to or called useless. And so Paul is saying, hey, like, he's a runaway slave, so, you know, he's useless, but he's actually not useless. He's useful, <laughs> Onesimus. Like, he's making a little joke. And I'm like, oh, Paul, that's funny. That's, you're great, man. That's, that's awesome. But then he goes on. He says, I'm sending him who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he can take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent. Paul knew that the Christian thing, the right thing to do, would be to reconcile the relationship, not run away from the problem. He knew that the conflict had to be resolved if they were to say they were followers of Jesus. And then this is where Paul makes his bold requests. He says this, Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. Now this, this is a really tall order. Remember that like Philemon has every right under Roman law to have Onesimus executed or put in prison or branded. But not only is Paul asking Philemon to, uh, to have Onesimus back without any punishment and forgive him, but, but to also free him and to treat him as a family member. Paul's not just asking for kindness. What he's asking for is, is absolutely unheard of. It completely upsets the status quo of the day for a slave to go from a slave and become a brother that is absolutely crazy. And, and, and why, why should Philemon even do this? And I think Paul pulls a brilliant move in the next verse when he says this. So if you consider me a partner... There's that Greek word again, koinonia. If you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I will pay it back. In this, in this letter, in this, in this message to Philemon, I think we see the heart of the gospel being acted out. 
Paul said this in another letter to the Corinthians. God was reconciling the world in the Messiah to himself, not counting people's sins against them. See, Paul in this letter, he's taking the place of Jesus by trying to reconcile this relationship by absorbing the punishment and repaying what is owed to Philemon so that Onesimus may be reconciled to Philemon. And, and this message is even about more than just reconciliation. It's also about koinonia. Philemon, Paul, and Onesimus are all on equal ground before God. They were all in need of grace and forgiveness, so they no longer have a master-slave relationship, but they are brothers in the Messiah. I think this echoes Paul's letter to the Colossians where he says this, Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. And Paul kind of ends his letter with a sort of wink and nod where he says, I write to you knowing you will do even more than I ask. (laughs) You ever have someone say that to you in a situation? You ever in an argument or talking to your parents and your parents go, I know you're going to do the right thing. Like, I know you will do the right thing. You ever have that? Oh, I hate that. It's just like, you know, like that's that's some. Mm, some pressure right there, and you know that they're right, and then when they say that, I know you're going to do the right thing, it's like, oh my gosh. And that, that's what Paul's doing right there. He's like, hey, you know what the right thing is. I know what the right thing is. I know you're going to do the right thing. What I see in this letter is that there's three different people that we can relate to. There's three different people that we can relate to in this letter, and the first one's Paul. I mean, you ever, you ever get caught in the middle of a couple of your friends just feuding, just fighting? Like, it's terrible. Like, you end up having to be some sort of, like, middleman, right? In, like, a he said, she said contest. And then, and then like, your friend's like, your friend's like, oh, how can you even be friends with them after what they did to me? And you're like, oh, yeah. And then you go hang out with that other friend. They're like, how could you be friends with them after what they did to me? And you're like... Oh, yeah. They eat, like, each of your friends want you to take their side, right? And then you feel trapped because you, like, can't hang out with both of them at the same time. So, like, you end up having to, like, like pick one or the other in some situations. But you're trying not to take sides. Like, like you, ever, you ever feel like a Paul? And as that, as that middle person, you have a choice, right? We can fan the flame. <laughs> we, yeah, there's some bad friends out there, and maybe you've been a bad friend, and you just fuel the drama, <laughs> Right? Oh, did you hear what they said about you? I'll tell you what they told me. Oh, my gosh. And then you run over to the other friend. Hey, I heard what they said about you. And you're just playing both sides of the field. There's some bad, bad friends, right? Now, we can either fan that flame or we can choose to try and help put it out. Right? Maybe you find yourself as a Paul in a situation. Or maybe you find yourself as, you know, Anisimus. I was doing so good. And I just read it and I was like, mm, onesie miss. Just, I just picture him wearing a little onesie from like, like a Roman Empire onesie. And he's just like walking around. Onesie miss. I don't know. Anyway. Um, and and <clears throat> maybe you find yourself as a, as a Onesimus. And, and, and like, how many of us have made decisions that we definitely regret? Okay. 
And sometimes you, you make these decisions you regret, and then you, like, change, or you grow as a person. Or, or like, uh, once a miss, you encounter Jesus, and you realize just how dumb you were. <laughs> or uh, how bad sometimes do we just want to be forgiven in situations, right? Maybe we need forgiveness in a situation where we've hurt someone. Or, like, how bad when you mess up do you want mercy? And maybe you've wronged someone. Maybe... Uh, maybe you're a klepto and you've stolen from somebody. I don't, you know, I don't know what kind of people we got here. Uh, maybe you said some really hurtful things. Uh, uh, maybe, uh, maybe you know that, the, that it's heavily your fault that a relationship has crumbled. <laughs> now, you can choose to run from it, to just decide that you're going to try and never face it. But that becomes a huge problem. I mean, what if you're you're having a conflict with family and you know it's your fault, but you're just going to run from it. You can decide never to fix it. That can make holidays extremely awkward, right? And if we build habits of never trying to ask for forgiveness, even though forgiveness is something we want, then we can easily catch ourselves ruining the relationships we love most. And we can find ourselves alone because we want to run from the problems and not toward them. Maybe that's you tonight. Or maybe today you, you relate most with Philemon. I think most of us here know what it's like to be wronged, to be hurt deeply by a friend or a family member. We're built with this deep sense for justice inside of us, right? When we see someone hurt, we want justice for them. When we get hurt, we want justice. Maybe you're holding on to some sort of grudge. A friend stabbed you in the back, all right? Or maybe they cut you off for, for no reason. And I'm not talking about the freeway someone cutting you off, but I mean like maybe someone in your life literally cut you off, no communication whatsoever for what feels like no reason. Like sometimes people hurt us. Sometimes they hurt us in unthinkable ways and we may feel so entitled to justice or to revenge. There's this story that's been in the news, and there was a cop, and she had gotten off duty. She was going home, and she entered the wrong apartment that she thought was hers, and there was a guy inside, and she shot and killed him because she thought he was an intruder, not her apartment. Okay. She was just sentenced to, I think it was 10 years in jail, and the brother of the guy she killed. He came up after the sentencing and asked if he can give her a hug. And he gave her a hug. And what did he say to her? I forgive you. He said, I forgive you. That, that's the ultimate form of forgiveness. He could have harbored his anger, his hatred. He could have let it festered. But there's that saying, right? Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping for someone else to die. I mean, hopefully you'll never have to be in a situation where you have to forgive someone in, in, in that sort of manner. But don't hold on to unforgiveness because it's only going to hurt you. The hard part is sometimes we have to forgive people that aren't even asking for forgiveness. I'm going to say that again. Sometimes we have to forgive people 
that aren't even asking for forgiveness. Because Jesus does that when he's, he's being crucified and he says, God, Father, forgive them. They don't understand what they're doing. See, we, we may feel like one of these three people right now, but the reality is that most of us have likely been all of these people at some point in our lives. I noticed that Paul in this letter, unlike any of his other letters, he, he doesn't explicitly mention Jesus' death and resurrection, but that's on purpose because Paul embodies it himself. Paul shows us that the implications of the gospel is personal, but never private. The gospel is personal, but never private. It vastly changes how we view relationships and each other. Jesus' family is a new humanity of equal partners, koinonia, who share together in God's mercy. I talked about this last week, that, that in the Messiah, in Jesus, there isn't race or gender or social status. There's simply new humans who share together in the love of Jesus. And that's what Paul's letter to Philemon is all about. And I think if we believe it and we preach it, then we need to live it. The gospel is personal, but never private. Make your forgiveness and your love completely public. You're going to throw people off. Like, you're going you're to freak people out when you live the way Jesus is calling you to live. When you love the way Jesus is calling you to love, you're going to freak people out. I mean, look at that cop story. It's huge news. It's big news. You want to know why? Because most of us put in that situation, we'd say we wouldn't be able to do that. But that's the love Jesus is calling you to show. Like he set the example. He offered us freedom and grace and mercy when we least deserve it. And he wants us to show others the same. Whether that means you help two people get back on right terms, or you, you need to, maybe you need to ask for forgiveness for a wrong you did, or, or maybe you need to give forgiveness in a way that only you as a Jesus follower could give. It's not easy. It's hard. But when we view life through the lens of Jesus, things become a little clearer. I believe if we lived life the way Jesus calls us to live, it would freak people out. You would see more of those headlines and people would be like, man, what's, what's with these Jesus people, man? They're just always loving and forgiving. Can you imagine if we heard that? <laughs> if, like, we started hearing that on the news, if that's how people talked about Christians? Dude, those Christians, man, they're always, like, doing stuff for other people. Like, like, I cut one off the other day on the freeway, and I saw that they had, like, a Jesus sticker on the back. They didn't even flip me off. They smiled. They waved. Like, you know what I mean? Like, can you, ima can you imagine? Like, those Jesus people are weird. He definitely should have, like, cussed me out, but he didn't. I think if we lived the way Jesus called us to live, this world would be a vastly different place. Let's pray. God, 
Lord, I just thank you for the forgiveness and the mercy and the grace that you've offered us, Lord, that you've given us through the cross. God, that you've reconciled us to you, Lord. God, that you forgave us even when we didn't know we needed forgiveness, Lord. God, I pray that we can be the vessels that extend that forgiveness to other people, Lord. God, that you would help us not to hold grudges or, or hold on to, to wrongs done to us, Lord, but that we would be able to forgive generously and freely as you forgave us. God, I pray that if we've wronged somebody, Lord, that if we hurt someone, that we would have the courage not to run away, but we would have the courage to run toward the problem, God. That we'd have the courage to go and ask for forgiveness, Lord. God, I pray that you help us have the eyes to be able to help others have good relationships, God. God, if that we're caught in between, God, that you would help us lead. We thank you for tonight, Lord. It's in your son's name we pray.